So if you've been at SunWest for the last few weeks, you know that we're in a, in a series called Miracles, uh, where we're looking at the miracles in the Gospel of John. John doesn't use the word miracle, he uses the word sign, uh, which is different than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but John's trying to tell us something about Jesus, not just the things that Jesus did, but what the things that Jesus did tell us about him. Uh, what the things that Jesus did point us towards. And so we've been working our way backwards through the miracles in the Gospel of John, uh, kind of towards the Christmas story. Uh, there's seven miracles in John. We've done four of them. And so today, uh, we're looking at the, uh, the last miracle before the birth of Jesus, which we'll talk about tomorrow. Uh, and that's uh, quite possibly the very first miracle that Jesus did uh, that we have in, in Scripture. And that's found in John chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 2, and we'll have uh, the text on the screen uh, as well. Uh, but we're going to start in, uh, right before John 2, we have John chapter 1. Uh, obviously, at the end of John chapter 1, Jesus is talking to some of his disciples who are beginning to follow him. And uh, and Jesus says uh, to Nathanael, Nathanael said to him in verse 49, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this kind of sets the stage for the miracle that's about to happen in John chapter 2. And there's a couple things in this, in this passage I just want to highlight. And uh, the first one is, is, is the word you there is not the singular you. So he's not, he goes from talking to Nathaniel uh, to talking to everybody. And I think we can include our, ourselves in that. Uh, so he's having a, a conversation with the individual. Jesus moves to having a conversation with all of us. And he says, uh, now I'm going to talk to you. He's going to talk to us. Very truly, I tell you, I tell all of you that you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what's neat here is John, throughout his gospel, he's, he's pulling in things from the Old Testament uh, different imagery, different stories, and he actually pulls them and weaves them through his entire gospel. And what we have here in, in John is the story of uh, Jacob, I think it's in Genesis 28, where Jacob has this dream about the angels uh, descending from heaven to earth. You guys remember this dream? Not if you remember it, just so I know if, if you're with me. If you don't remember, you can do this too, and then I still know you're with me, you just, not, you just don't remember. Uh, so Jacob has this dream. Uh, where he sees the, the angels uh, descending, ascending and descending on, on the, stair, the staircase between heaven and earth. And so John, uh, in the Gospel of John, John does something really cool here. He, he actually switches it. He changes it. Uh, and it says, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on what? The Son of Man. So Jacob has this vision where... where where the, the, the realm between heaven and earth actually disappear. And John here is saying that uh, it disappears in Jesus. That Jesus is the collision of heaven and earth. And throughout the Gospel of John, now when he starts to show us the signs, John is sh- showing us this is the type of, types of thing that happen when heaven and earth collide. These are the types of signs uh, that happen when heaven comes to earth. So then it goes into John chapter 2. That's what it reads. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus, made his, uh, Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Mucho problemo. Big problem. No wine. Big party. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. So before you teenagers get a hold of this and say, if Jesus can call his mom woman, then that means I can too. So let me remind you that there's a 2,000-year cultural difference between then and now. And uh, so when Jesus says woman, uh, it's, not, it's not a term of disrespect. Okay? And so this was a common way uh, that a male would refer to an, an adult female, uh, whereas if you did it now, it uh, would not be received as such. So I don't recommend it uh, to you teens out there. So woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So this next verse, verse 6, the first kind of chapter in a bit, John is is writing very poetically, metaphorically. He, he's covering uh, months and months of time, uh, and he, he doesn't write any specifics. This is the first time in the Gospel of John where he starts to talk in detail. He starts to talk in specifics because he wants us to notice something at this point in the story. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So 20 to 30 gallons. Uh, I did a little bit of math, uh, which equals about 113 uh, liters per jar times six. Uh, we have almost 680 liters okay, uh, in these jars of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars to the brim with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. So 670 liters of wine. Jesus knows how to throw a party. Now draw, draw some out and take, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the, the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though well, the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, first of the miracles through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Now, going back to verse 6, where, the, where you have the jars. So these jars were used for ceremonial washing. So uh, the, you know, the Pharisees and the religious, religious leaders would wash themselves uh, in these jars to stay pure, to stay clean. And if the wine just ran out, you can, you can guess there's empty wine bottles, and they probably didn't have wine bottles, empty wine skins. There's uh, empty wine containers. Jesus didn't go and refill the wineskins. Jesus didn't go and refill whatever containers the wine were previously in. He did something intentionally to make a point, to signify something. He took the religious symbol at the party, the one which was separate, the one which, which indicated that you had to participate in this in order to be pure enough to participate in uh, the activity, 
in the community. And Jesus takes that, and he puts wine in that instead of whatever containers the wines were previously in. And so as we've been learning, each one of the signs, each one of the miracles is indicating something. It's telling us something, not just about the power or the act, uh, the cool thing that happened. Uh, if that was the only point, John would have used the Greek word dunamis, but he doesn't say that. He, he doesn't, he's not talking about the power. He's saying, what is happening here? What is happening in the sign? What's happening in the sign is uh, the beginning of the story where Jesus is going to offend over and over again those who were religiously observant. Those who thought life would come through religious systems. And Jesus actually turns the system. He offends the system. And I think when we think about what that indicates today, uh, how many of us look for life uh, in religious systems? Religious ritual, religious discipline. The sign here is that Jesus is indicating that true life does not come from religion. True life does not come from observing religious practice. True life doesn't come from uh, doing the right things, going to church. That's not the source of true life. In fact, Jesus is going to do something from within that system, the system of Judaism, uh, and he is going to bring life. And wine throughout Scripture is a symbol that indicates life, that indicates blessing, that indicates fullness. There was another story in the Old Testament, and remember John weaves the Old Testament in with the New Testament in his gospel here. There was another story in the Old Testament where, uh, where water was turned into blood. So Moses, uh, whom through the, the Jewish law, the Torah came, uh, was the one in which the power, the sign, the miracle that happened under his leadership was where water turned into blood, and, bl- and that signifying judgment. And the scriptures say that one greater than Moses would come. And Jesus, as a new Moses, comes in it, and he brings uh, not judgment, but he brings life. So whereas the old religious systems focused on behavior and judgment, what Jesus was, was doing was inviting us to blessing and inviting us to life. And so I think in this, in this miracle, we see a sign that tells us a couple of things about Jesus. One is that he's extravagant. So think, think of all the other signs, right? Jesus is doing miracles that, that help people, that are healing people, that are feeding people, um, that are raising people from the dead. But here we have this extravagant miracle that isn't really helping anybody. I think sometimes Jesus just wants to party and have a good time. Jesus cares about life. Jesus cares about fullness. This wasn't a have-to miracle. This wasn't a, I'm trying to save somebody or help someone miracle. It was, he's trying to bring life to a community type of miracle. And it's extravagant. It's abundant. It's uh, 670 liters of wine. Who in the right mind needs that much wine? But Jesus is making a point here. He, he goes over and above. We cannot contain him. 
There's no religious practice, no religious system that contain him. He's doing something that's far beyond what we could ask or imagine. And he's coming not to bring judgment, but to bring life. And I think the second thing we see, and we already indicated, is that he's bringing goodness. He's bringing blessing. Jesus brings life. Jesus brings blessing. And so this is the beginning of his miracles. He's setting the stage with this for the rest of the book of John. So you follow the story through, you get to the end of chapter 2, and there's this fascinating dialogue that happens. Chapter 2, verse 23, says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. There's a play on words that's happening here in the Greek uh, when it says that people believed in him. It's the, it's the, it's the Greek word pistis, or the verb pistuo. Um, and I've talked about this before, but this word is more than intellectual belief. It's trust, that the people were ready to place their trust in Jesus. Jesus uses the same, or John uses the same word to describe Jesus' feelings towards them, that even though people were beginning to believe in him, to trust him, Jesus was not yet uh, able to entrust himself with them. Part of what we see happening in the book of John throughout these signs is that Jesus is inviting us. He's pointing us to a greater reality, not to the miracles themselves, but to something beyond the miracles. But until we kind of understand and grasp that greater reality, that Jesus isn't just a genie, that Jesus doesn't just come to... Uh, you know, we say, jump, and he says, how high? That's not what miracles were about. It was about Jesus being Lord. It was about heaven coming to earth. It was about transforming the scope of human history. And the people in the story, in the Gospel of John at this point, don't yet understand what the sign was pointing towards, that Jesus couldn't actually fully entrust himself with them. Last week, we talked about the miracle of uh, the feeding miracle, where Jesus multiplies bread. And here we talk about the, uh, the wine miracle. And both of these miracles, John is also weaving in the theme of communion, or the Eucharist, the bread and the wine. This would become the symbol or the sign for the church for thousands of years that... Uh, that the church would participate in, that we would feed on Jesus, that he would be our source of life. That's what Kendall talked about last week. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to respond uh, in this Christmas season with communion. Uh, and when we come to the communion table we are testifying that this is not about bread and wine, but about something greater. We are testifying that Jesus came, uh, that he, his body was broken for us on the cross, that his blood was spilt for us. Not as a spectacle, not as something to see, but as an invitation to a transformed life, a life of abundance, a life of grace, a life uh, where we can experience heaven coming to earth now.
in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, Paul is speaking. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when, we, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance of me. So when we eat the bread, we're proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're remembering what he's done, but we're also looking forward to, as we'll see, uh, when he comes back. The Advent season is one where we reflect on those who waited for the Messiah to come, but one in also how we wait today for the Messiah to come back a second time to finish what he started. This is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're proclaiming the Lord's death, but we're also looking forward to what all these signs are pointing toward, where heaven ultimately comes to earth. And so in a moment, we have, uh, we have five communion stations, one, uh, two at the front on each corner, and we have three at the back. Uh, and we're going to invite you to take uh, communion. Uh, we, we know that this is a family f- service, and so if you're in junior high or younger, we just ask that you would uh, ask your parents or who you came with uh, if uh, they think it's appropriate for you to take communion. Uh, if, uh, it, and obviously, no one, we, we leave the freedom here not to take communion uh, because uh, taking communion is a, is a proclamation of faith. It's, it's testifying to Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King. Uh, and that's, that's a significant decision. Uh, and so we don't want to uh, belittle that decision. We, wanna, we actually want to acknowledge how significant it is uh, that we are choosing to, uh, to proclaim that Jesus is our source of life, our source of salvation, our source of hope. Uh, and so if you're in a place where you want to proclaim that uh, this morning, we invite you uh, to come to the communion table uh, in one of the five stations. Uh, There will also be servers that will be serving uh, at those stations. I'm going to invite those servers to come forward at this point. And when they serve you, I know this freaked some people out last time we did it because we haven't done it often, uh, but they are going to serve you, and when they give you the bread, they're going to say, Christ's body broken for you. Uh, Christ's blood shed for you. And this is the invitation to receive the broken body of Christ for you, the blood shed for you. Uh, and then uh, when you receive it, we just invite you to take the elements. Uh, in that moment, when you do receive it, we won't take it together, uh, so you can take it uh, as soon as you would like to. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we'll sing uh, a couple more songs together. So I'm going to invite you to stand, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, that you came. Uh, Lord, we, we know that you were there in the beginning, as it talks about in John, that in the beginning you were there. You were the Word, but the Word became flesh. We thank you in this Christmas season that you became flesh. Lord, you came uh, not just to show your power, but you actually came 
to point us to a greater hope, a greater reality. Lord, I know there's many people in this room uh, that need hope this Christmas season, that are waiting in this season. Lord, I pray that you would be Emmanuel, that you would be God with them this morning, that you would uh, encourage them, that you would breathe hope and faith into them. Lord, as we participate in communion, as we eat the bread and drink the juice in remembrance of your broken body and your spilled blood, uh, Lord, that you would fill us with life and hope, regardless of our circumstances. And so, Jesus, we, we do this in remembrance of what you've done for this, but we also do this in the hope and anticipation for what you have yet to do in a world that is still waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.